0: Well, if you had told me that I would move from Alabama to Oregon and face the hottest weather I've ever faced in my life, I would have said, no way, you know? And here it is, right? Well, I um, thought about changing my sermon topic to the doctrine of hell, but uh, decided that wouldn't probably fit uh, with some of you, but it would, of course, fit with the Lord. We neglect it. Uh, let me tell you, though, about my view of things like um, ice storms. And um, in the south, we got tornadoes and hurricanes with great regularity and heat waves and things like that. Those are God's shots across the bow to his world and saying, Wake up, world. The, the storm of my wrath is coming, and you need to be ready for it. The heat of my hell is coming. You need to be ready for it. Uh, The tornado of my wrath will come upon the earth just as unexpectedly as tornadoes come through the world. They had one in the Czech Republic this week. Did you read that? A a tornado in the Czech Republic. They'll be in shock. Anyway, um, there's a storm coming. At least that's the way God describes it. Well, anyway. Um, you get that for no extra charge. By the way, I want to emphasize one thing that John said. It's not too early to start praying for the pastor search committee and process, okay? God has a person uh, uh, of his selection that your committee will be working toward. Uh, you can pray for the committee. You can pray for that man. Uh, do go ahead and be praying that way, Okay? So we're continuing with the dinner party dialogues, these times when Jesus was invited to somebody's house for dinner or was having a meal. We'll eventually get to the the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper uh, in this little series. Uh, But we continue today in Luke 11, where another Pharisee invites him in, and Jesus kind of blows the party up again. It won't always be like that. And uh, finally... I'll get to not only the Lord's Supper uh, as it's instituted in the Gospels, but the eternal wedding banquet um, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 19. Let's pray, then we'll read uh, in Luke 11. Lord, help us to understand uh, you and your ways with your people. Help us to humble ourselves under our mighty God that you might exalt us at the proper time, casting all our anxieties upon you because you care for us. And you revealed how much you care in sending your only begotten Son to die in our place. Forgive us that we doubt sometimes whether or not you care. And this sacrament of the Lord's Supper reminds us every Sunday that you do care deeply, immeasurably. I pray that your spirit that inspired these words will illuminate them to our understanding that they would be not a dead letter, but living and active, working in our hearts and minds, in our souls and spirits, uh, saving the lost and transforming the saved. And Father, once again, I, I ask you to use a crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you, we believe the Bible is the word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. I'll read verses 37 to 44, and then we will consider verses 37 to 41 today. God willing, verses 44 and following uh, uh, next time. Luke 11 at verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you're like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Amen. The grasses wither, the flowers fade. But the words of our God will never fade. They abide forever and forever. One of the things that is ubiquitous in every culture that I've ever known of uh, is the presence of what we call in in our country often rednecks. Um, uh, A missionary friend of mine, uh, Johnny Johnson, moved from Birmingham to the Czech Republic. Uh, By the way, he and his wife Annette may be here in worship on August 8th. We're trying to work those details out. He came back and he said to me, "Alan, they have a word for redneck in the Czech language. I said, "You're kidding me." He said, "No." He said, "It just must be everywhere. And if you go to Florida, they'll talk about what's called a Florida cracker, which is nearest I can tell is some form of, of well you, okay, you see there, I've made a connection already, you see? So I've heard you've heard these things, you know, and you've heard the jokes, you know." Uh, You might be a redneck if you think a stock tip is advice on how to worm your hogs or something like that, or you think the Taco Bell is a Mexican phone company. Um, What is the essence, though, of being a redneck? Well, I don't know. I once asked my my sister-in-law. We were riding back from the beach. They live in uh, Maitland, Florida, just north of uh, Orlando. And I said, Rita, what is a Florida cracker? And we got in this 45-minute discussion, and we never got a definition. We, what was the essence of it? She didn't know. Well, that's, that's an aside. What's the essence of Phariseeism? There's a lot about it in the Bible. What is the essence of it? When the chaff is blown away, what's left? What, what marks and makes a person into a Pharisee? At the time of Jesus, not all Jews were Pharisees. It's kind of like not all Germans in World War II were Nazis. Um, but not all uh, Jews were Pharisees. The majority of the Jews were what were described in verses 29 to 32. We didn't read that. But they were an evil generation, according to Jesus, a corrupt generation. But the Pharisees were conservative, fundamental somewhat right-wing reform movement trying to put Israel back on track. But they were far off and didn't realize how far off they were. And in this passage, Jesus is trying to tell them that, that they are part of the evil generation and trying to get them back on track. And so as we look at this passage, we need to ask ourselves, Am I a Pharisee? Are we Pharisees? And if so, to what extent are we Pharisees and what should we do about it? And so I'm going to look at these verses today under the heading The Problem of Purity because I really think that's at the root of what's going on here. Um, Here's my first point. Most of us know that we are not pure people. Um, And if I say perfectly pure people... I kind of put you into a corner where everybody says, okay, I have to raise my hand. I'm not perfectly pure. Well, not only are we not perfectly pure, we're not very pure at all in the face of God. Let me show that this way. If you ask people, anybody, um, say you're a businessman or woman and you're out for lunch with a work associate and certain things come up about what's going on in the world today and and you throw the question out, hey, what do you think is wrong with the world, and what will it take to get it fixed? And I can tell you one response you will not get, well, there's nothing wrong with the world. (laughs) Nobody's going to tell you that, right? Nobody's going to say, well, the world's not broken, the world's not flawed, nobody's going to say that. Adolf Hitler said, well, the Jews are what's wrong with the world. That's what's wrong with the world. The communists said, well, it was alienation. If people were not alienated from the means of production, things would be much better. The naturalist or materialists say, well, it's the environment. We wouldn't be so messed up if it wasn't for the environment. Instead of saying the problem's in here, they say, well, the problem's out there. It's the culture that messes us up. We're really pretty good people. Oh, Okay. And the Democrats say, well, it's the Republicans, and the Republicans say it's the Democrats. You got that. But nobody's going to say, well, nothing's wrong. Everybody agrees the world is desperately broken, desperately wrong. Actually, I think that's a decent way to begin gospel conversations with non-believers today. What do you think's wrong with the world? What would it take to fix it? You're not kind of putting a light in their eyes and saying, what do you think of Jesus? You're going to get there. They're going to tell you what they think's wrong with the world, and hopefully they'll say to you, "What do you think's wrong with the world?" Ah, <laughs> ah, then you've got an open door to talk to them. Yes. Well, here's what I think's wrong with the world, and uh, you can get to the gospel pretty quick with that, I think. Here's another related question: What's wrong with me, and how can I improve? You know that story. Maybe you've heard it that. Uh, they wrote in the early 1900s, uh, The Times of London wrote to several intellectuals in England, said, What's wrong with the world? What do you think's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton wrote back and said, I am. <laughs> I'm what's wrong with the world, right? Sure, that's a hu- humble man, an honest man. Everyone suffers from a bad conscience in some way or another at some time or another. Indeed, some of us cannot escape it very long. How can I get rid of my guilt for my moral failures? How can I be clean? I submit everybody has a guilt problem. Everybody deals with guilt. Mafiadons deal with guilt. Different moral standard, yes, but guilt, yes. Sure. Everybody deals with guilt. Every person you meet on the street in Newburgh or Portland or or anywhere else, they in some way or another, some time or another, they deal with the problem of guilt. They have a, a sack on their back, to use an image from Pilgrim's Progress. And that sack is a sack of guilt. Now we know that we are born with original sin, that we have the taint, the guilt, the infection of Adam's original sin. Um, uh, and, and that nature acts out in doing things that are wrong and messes the world up. Uh, short of Catechism uh, 14, uh, what is sin? Any, act, any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. We fail to conform to the, what the law requires. We do what the law forbids in thought and word and deed. And the question is how can we alleviate the guilt that we face. Well, the Pharisees sought to alleviate guilt in three unsuccessful ways, and they are in this passage, I think, if we look at it carefully. The first one is they they sought to eliminate guilt externally, externally. Um, They uh, have Jesus, this Pharisee has Jesus coming into this uh, party, and Jesus doesn't Uh, wash before dinner. Now, this is not like a six-year-old being called to dinner uh, and and won't wash his hands. I always pick on the boys, but I was one, and, and, you know, we we understand that. Uh, That's the way a lot of little boys are, you know. Why don't you wash your hands before you... They're not dirty, you know. You've heard that a hundred times if you've had a little boy. Well, yes, okay, but this is not... This is a ritual washing, this is a a, a, um, a ceremonial thing, um, and and washing before eating is described. Listen carefully; it is described in the Old Testament, but it is not prescribed in the Old Testament. There's a difference. And the Pharisee is astonished; he's caught off guard. I believe he's genuinely interested in Jesus and what Jesus is doing. I don't think he set a trap for Jesus like they sometimes did. I think it came up very naturally. And Jesus, in essence, is going to say to them, you're a hypocrite. He says, look, it's very clear right there in the text. You Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Now, he's using an analogy of, of, of the things at the dinner table. I don't think he's saying to the Pharisee, look, your cups are dirty on the inside. You should have cleaned them too. He's talking about the man. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about their hearts. And he's saying, look, you dress up on the outside, but the inside's a mess, and you haven't dealt with it. Oh, inside you are full of greed. You're full of wickedness. You're covered with it. It's not just a little bit of it. You're full of it. Greed is idolatry, we're told in Colossians 3, verse 5, which I think is the neglected sin of our age. It's the one that we don't even see. You know, if you said certain sexual sins, sinful, oh, yeah, that's sinful. I see it. I see it in culture every day. But the sin of materialism, the sin of greed is, it. we are like fish swimming in water, and we don't even see the water. And in the Western tradition, we're swimming in a sea of greed, and we don't even see it. Interesting that he says this to them, down in verse 42, it says, they tithed mint and rue and every herb. So they're tithers in one sense but they're greedy in another, Mm. full of wickedness, full of evil intention, even though they're scrupulous about the outward details. How would that play today? Well, these are people that are very meticulous about the way they dress, their clothing, they're preparing for worship, how they do their hair, their jewelry, but they don't prepare their hearts. They don't prepare their souls. They don't pray and plead with God that when they come to worship, they might meet with Him. Lord, that I might meet with You, the living God, that You might visit us today, that You might change lives, that You might come into our midst in power. They're not doing that. They are externalists. And they're lost. But they sought purity externally. Secondly, they sought purity legally. The Pharisees were legalists. And legalists are almost always externalists. They sought to use biblical and extra-biblical rules for the sake of spiritual advantage or supposed spiritual advantage with God and to have a higher standing before God than others. It seemed so logical to them to show their commitment this way by means of rule-keeping. But the problem with trying to be pure legally is it always leads to one of two extremes, okay? Either you try, you're trying to be pure by way of, of law legally and you realize, I don't measure up. I won't measure up. I'm not good enough. God will never accept me. And you live a life of spiritual depression and discouragement, or what I call the spiritual rubby grubs. You won't read that in the standard theologies. Always discouraged. I, I'm nothing. I'll never, I, I'll never measure up. Or, worse, I do measure up. <laughs> and I'm good enough to please God. So you're either going to be prideful in that latter case or discouraged in the former case. If you seek purity legally... You're gonna have a mess on your hands. And that can be absolutely or relatively. You can absolutely think you're better than other people. Or you might say, well, I'm better than enough others. That if anybody's gonna to get to heaven, I will, because I'm better than those other people. Too many people think that way. So they they were they were seeking purity externally and legally, and thirdly, they sought it selectively. What, what do I mean by selectively? Well, the Pharisees practice what I call selective obedience. They take partial obedience as full and complete obedience. What do I mean by that? Look at the text. They cleanse the outside of their lives, but they neglect the inside of their lives. They do one thing right and another thing not right. Are we like this? Well, it seems to me there's a tendency in most of us to take partial obedience as full and complete obedience. There's a tendency to say, look, I may not do that and that, but I do this. I've got something to hang on to. I've got this little bit of obedience to hang on to. And look, I may have my sins, but the really bad sins, I don't do them. Why do we do that? Well, either we don't know the gospel or we forget the gospel of free grace and think it's up to us. And, and we focus, I think, on the outside rather than the inside because, frankly, the outside's a whole lot easier to deal with, right? The outside's a whole lot easier to deal with. I used to tell couples coming to be me for premarital counseling, I, I, part of my standard spiel was this. I said, look, if either one of you is thinking, I'm going to marry this person and then change them into the person they want to be, I want them to be, I said, you're on a fool's errand, and let me tell you why. And then I would just ask this question. How are you doing about, how successful are you in changing your own life? <laughs> and most of them would look at me, deer in the headlights, you know. So you're not changing yourself, but you're going to change him or her? Sure. Yeah, uh-huh. Let's talk about that in five years. taking partial obedience is full obedience. So thirdly, Jesus evaluates this, and he's pretty, (laughs) he just blows this dinner party up. He says, you fools. (laughs) I mean, it's not laughable, but it is laughable, right? Right in the middle of a man's party, you fools. What's a fool in the Bible, by the way? A fool is someone who professes that they're a theist, and they act like an atheist. A a fool is someone who thinks there is no God or acts like there's no God. And he goes to the doctrine of creation. It's a a little bit of an unusual move there. Did not he who made the outside of the cup make the inside also? So he's going to the God made both the inside and the outside. He's going kind of to the doctrine of creation. and, and, And creation causes concern. Like, so if you make something, Uh, Maybe you've got a hobby where you make things. Uh, We tend to treasure those things. We tend to be concerned about those things. We tend to want the best of those things and protect and defend those things. And so if God made the inside and the outside, he wants the best for both. I think that's a part of what's going on here. It could be that he's talking about all of his creation will be judged, both the inside and the outside. I'm not sure about that. But he says, look. Give as alms those things that are within. Now, that sounds strange. Um, Because they tithe mint and herbs and things like that. He says, give as alms those things that are within. What is he talking about? What we would call our heart, our will, our desires, our thoughts. What is it to give them as alms? Give them up to God. How do I give my will up to God? Well, get your agenda, your date book, and say, here, God, you fill it in. I'm flexible. It's to put to death the old and seek to cultivate the new. Or as John Calvin said, my heart I give to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Have you ever said that to God? My heart I give you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Lord, I give you all that I am, all that I could ever dream to be. And if you do that, it says, behold, everything is clean for you. Not because of your sacrifice, but because of Jesus' coming sacrifice. You see, it's the gospel that's God's solution to the problem of purity. It's the gospel that's God's solution to getting uh, or answer or way to get that sack of guilt off your back. Jesus will take your guilt upon himself and give you his robes of purity if you put your faith in him. He's calling them to repentance and faith and he's calling us to repentance and faith. Purity cannot be Obtained externally or legally or selectively. Our consciences will still condemn us. You know that. If you're spiritually alive at all, you know that. You've experienced that. You've tried that. I have. I've tried all of these things. Sad to say I continue to try them and think that way. It's the default position of those who have a fallen nature. But God demands perfect purity. We don't have it. We won't have it on our own. But Jesus will give you his perfect purity. He will impute his righteousness to your account. His perfect record will be reckoned to your account with God. I began by talking about you might be a... Redneck, if, but you might be a Pharisee if you're concerned more with externals than internals, if you focus more on what you do than who you are in Christ, if you're more concerned with law than love, if you're more concerned with what you know than with what you do, if you're more concerned with being good than with experiencing grace. You might be a Pharisee if you feel pride begin to well up within you when you pull up in the church parking lot or when you take your seat at worship or you put your check in the offering box or something else. But I think if you're spiritually sensitive, you can tell when pride begins to well up in you. If you're a Pharisee, repent. If you're a Pharisee, rely upon Jesus for the purity you know you don't have. When Jesus spoke to these people, it was not too late for them. And friend, it's not too late for you and for me. Someday it will be too late, but today it's not too late. I close with a story from an old movie. Uh, I've gotten to the age where all the... Illustrations I use from movies are dated, <laughs> and the younger crowd doesn't know them, but maybe you've seen the movie Braveheart. Uh, years ago, I saw that. And, and in that movie, there's a, there's a point at which uh, one of the central female characters is sexually assaulted by a guy from the other side. It's an awful scene, both there and later There's a scene, and she's out in the lake, and she's trying to cleanse herself. And it's just an awful scene, brothers and sisters, because she feels so dirty. She feels so awful. If you feel unclean, if you feel impure, don't run to the lake. Don't run to externals. Don't run to the law. It will only condemn you more. Don't try partial obedience and say, God, I did this even if I haven't done the other things. Because your conscience will still kill you. Bang, bang, bang. Run to Jesus. Bathe yourself in Him. He will give you the purity, the cleanliness that you long for. He will make you clean and begin to transform you from one degree of glory to another. This Pharisee played the fool because he thought he could make himself clean. He couldn't. You can't either. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us that we've run to the lake and to the shower. We've run to the law we tried partial obedience. we tried selective obedience. we tried the externals. They haven't worked. For some of us, the sack is still very heavy on our backs. Oh, Lord, forgive us that we've not run to you frequently enough. Some maybe have never run to you at all. Lord, if they haven't, I pray they will right now. Give them that grace. But Lord, for those of us that forget, with too great a frequency, help us to remember to run to to you, Lord Jesus, and you will make us clean. We pray in your name. Amen.